Episode 28 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with consultant nutritionist Laurent Bannock. We spoke about a number of um, aspects of nutrition, so I've been wanting to get someone on to talk about nutrition for a while, and I don't think there's anyone better than than Laurent to come on and talk about it, hear in the episode about his experience and all the education he's been through. Um, numerous degrees, PhDs that he, he's um, been through. So he's very, very experienced. It was great to chat with him. I actually wanted to get him on because I wanted to really focus it around the work that he did at the World Cup with, with Egypt. So I thought it was fascinating that the players were going through, um, they were adhering to Ramadan and they were fasting. So I wanted to see the approach that he took. So he spoke about his, his general approach to nutrition also the common mistakes made by both players and coaches and then he he spoke in great depth about the World Cup so the actual protocol that they used and how they got around the fact that the players weren't uh, weren't able to eat or drink in the day but still had to train and perform and then one of the last questions I asked him was his advice to coaches so coaches that uh, might have to look uh, after players' nutrition, but might also be the SNC coach, sports scientist. So at a club where you have to don many hats, and nutrition is part of that. What would his advice be for a coach in that situation? So he gave some really good advice. So listen out uh, for that advice at the end of the episode. The podcast now is available on Spotify, which I'm delighted to say. So we've had many requests from people using Androids to uh, get the podcast on Spotify. So it is now available on Spotify. If you're struggling to find it, um, please let us know. Drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com, and I'll fire over the link. Um, And also, please, we've had a few extra reviews over on iTunes, but I would really appreciate it if you could take the time and go and leave us a five-star review over on iTunes just to boost us up the charts, get more coaches and practitioners aware of the podcast, that'll be amazing. Uh, And just mention your favourite guest, your favourite episode, your biggest takeaways from the podcast. Um, I would really appreciate that. Again, thank you very much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the podcast with Laurent. Welcome to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Laurent Bannock. Is that is that right? Well done, mate. You pronounced it right. Kudos to you. First time. First time. Even, even, <laughs> even in sort of a Wigany accent, it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I put the Wigan twang on it. So, <laughs> well, Lauren has joined us. He's a um, consultant nutritionist. So I'm, I'm delighted he's come on the podcast because I wanted to deep dive into nutrition for a while. We did touch on it on a few previous podcasts, but it was just part of, of the podcast. But I'm really interested to get um, his points of view on a few areas and also his his expertise, his experience as well, because I've, been, I've just been speaking to him and saying that I've been following his work and it'd be great to have a discussion about a few different things. So first of all, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's my my pleasure. It's very it's nice to actually to be able to talk to to people about this stuff. I can tell you at home, you know, wife not interested in this sort of stuff. My uh, my friends are like, oh, that's all boring. They they want to hear the salacious stuff that uh, I might know, you know, working in in elite sport. They're not really interested in uh, the professional or sciencey stuff. So I'm I'm well up for this. 
That's good to hear. So do you want to start us off on your background um, and then take sure. us up to uh, current day? Sure. So whew, that's a big, uh, that's a big one that if I, if I, let me just give you the sort of who am I, the answer to the who am I question. Um, so uh, my name is uh, Dr. Got to use that title now, Dr. Laurent Bannock. Um, I am a, a consultant nutritionist, and I'll explain what I mean by that um, shortly. I actually have two basic um, approaches to uh, my professional life, one of which is I am the um, director of Bannock Consulting Limited, which is my private practice, basically. I'm based in Harley Street in London, where I work um, primarily with professional athletes like football players, elite athletes like Olympians, that sort of thing. But I also have uh, quotes unquote um, regular people um, that tends to be more from the business world. I also work with um, uh, celebrities from the film, music and, and television area. Um, but my, my bigger, so I'm a practitioner first and foremost, and that's what I, I love to do. But I also do consulting for teams, um, which we'll get into um, a fair bit on this, this podcast. So we'll come back to that. My other hat is that I am the CEO and founder of the Guru Performance Institute, which is a professional education institute that is focused on training and education in performance nutrition um, for aspiring or current uh, sports nutritionists. And we have students currently, I think last count now, in uh, 57 countries, students and graduates. We've grown in the last five years to a pretty big organization, and we we, we, we have some scientific publications that we've produced. Um, that we also have our own podcast, the We Do Science podcast that I host. So it's really nice to be on the other side of the, uh, the microphone, Ben. Um, and uh, we're engaged in a number of um, educational um, sort of, you know, aspects of that, which is both sports nutrition as well as exercise physiology type stuff. As far as my own background is, is concerned, I mean, I'll be showing my age when I say I've been at this for nearly 28 years now. Um, it, it's all, it, I've been doing it most of my, my life, really. Um, when I say it, it, it's been in the health and fitness area. It's been um, a, a hell of a, a journey and a hell of an evolution where I initially started as a personal trainer um, for many years and then upskilled to being an S&C coach. Um, and I did that those two for about 15 years even though my own gym at one point um and and did that both um here in the uk um but also um worked as a, a a personal trainer initially in the united states before then going back to university and getting um a number of degrees out of the way like i did a master's in nutrition and another master's in exercise science um and uh, uh to cut a long story short spent a fair amount of time reinventing myself from sort of being in that that lost dark world of the personal trainer um to the more professional structured world of the snc coach and then to being a sports scientist um and then on that journey met a lot of people did a lot of things worked with american football team you know ufc fighters all sorts of stuff ended up coming back to the uk uh this is about 12 years ago no no maybe maybe 10 years ago came back to the uk and i uh, was working for uh, professional rugby teams like london irish london scottish 
London Broncos. I was also working with Danny Williams, the heavyweight boxing champion, worked with him through two of his title fights. UFC fighters like Jimmy Manoa, who's one of the top five UFC um, uh, fighters out there, uh, light heavyweights, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, it's just a really eclectic mix of, of work. And then more recently in the last five years, just to speed this little intro up, because 20 years is a long time, um, I ended up working with uh, Great Britain Fencing for the Rio Olympics as the, as the nutritionist. Um, at the same time, was also upskilling my um, nutritional qualifications and educations um, and embarked on my doctorate, which I've obviously now finished, uh, which was focused on, on sports nutrition. And, and I'll delve back into that as we start talking. Um, and then also most recently, I guess the, uh, the, the, the bigger one that I'm more well known for lately, which is I worked at the uh, FIFA World Cup um with the uh, Egyptian national football team and was lucky enough to work with some amazing football players to include Mo Salah of course which I think everyone's heard of which again we can talk about um in this in this podcast so there's a lot more to it to that but I think it gives people an idea that I I've gone through quite a journey but I've ended up um landing on my feet so to speak although it's been a lot of work but um at, at the center of all of this is I am a pretty severe dyslexic um, so anyone who uh, exchanges on WhatsApp or text with me will see that uh, my typos can be pretty epic, um, which is a great deal of fun. But the reason why I'm mentioning that is for those of your listeners that are maybe at the beginning of their career path, you know, their PTs, S&C coaches, you know, anything's possible. If I can do it, you guys can do it. And um, just only too happy to share some of that knowledge and experience with you. Awesome. Wow. Wow, that's a lot of information. The sports there that you covered, covered uh, I mean, there's uh, some of the athletes you've named there are, are, are top quality, but yeah. what would be is there one sport in particular that you, or one athlete in particular, that you enjoyed working with the most? That's a really interesting question um, because I would look at that in different ways. I mean, if I'm, I mean, I love, I love team sports, you know, um, and I cut my teeth um, with professional rugby um, and I had a particularly good two years with London Irish and I just loved being part of a team. Um, I love those guys. I love the team. I'm still their biggest fan. Um but it's very different because when you're a practitioner in a team setting, your relationship with, with, with the client, the patient, you know, is very different than it would be in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. Whereas when I was working with, say, Danny Williams, um, love the guy. We, I mean, you know, we developed a very strong relationship, uh, working very closely together. You know, uh, and there's a lot of ups and downs and challenges. And of course, you you get pretty close with with people when you're working that you know that close one on one with your clients. So, you know, I can't really single out. I've been lucky. I've had a lot of a lot of athletes that I've enjoyed working with. Um, but if if I was forced to make those questions, yeah, it would probably be professional rugby um and uh football of course I, I you know the thing about football I'm, I'm i'm more of a rugby guy i really don't like football very much but i've i've come to really increase my level of respect 
respect for football, um, having been involved with it, particularly at the World Cup. And I also still consult now for a number of uh, Premier League uh, and Championship League teams. Um, um, so I think it, it, it's a very difficult question you asked, but hopefully I've given you just a little bit of a hint there. No, I mean, they're, they're very, very different sports, aren't they? The individuals, the, the weight-making sports, and then the the team sports. So I, I didn't necessarily expect you to to name well, one, but it's just good to get your opinion. Yeah, it, I, I think because I've had the opportunity to work with so many different kinds of athletes, I think the diversity of that experience has not only helped me you know, in my practice, because I've seen so many things at so many different levels that actually there is quite a lot of crossover. You might not think there's much crossover between, say, Olympic fencing, you know, Olympic triathlon, uh, Formula One race car drivers and tennis players. And, oh, sorry, I've got to mention, uh, yeah, also in the last few years, I worked with Alina Svitolina, who, when I was with her, was uh, we achieved world number three in the WTA uh, rankings, and I really enjoyed that as uh, as well. Just bring that in because tennis is another really interesting sport. Um, it, you know what? With these professional athletes, I think it's the it's the sheer admiration that you have for what they're doing and what they're striving to achieve. Particularly the athletes that are in um, they're not so well paid. You know, not the professional football players. Um, that that's very much down to you know, you like some players, you're not so keen on there's, there's personalities and there's all sorts of stuff. But it, when you're talking about people who are going to do an insane amount of training um, and travel and, and so on on a daily basis for many years, and at the end of it, they, they might not get much of a paycheck because it's for the Olympics. And unless you actually medal, you're not likely to get very far. You know, you're not going to get those pundit jobs or be asked to, you know, be a motivational speaker or get a, you know, or, or endorse products or be a consultant to a brand or, you know, like you see sort of the Mo Farahs and the Jessica Anises and so on, unless you, you know, you win. But but these guys, it's just insane um, what they do um, for their for their art, for their craft. Um, those are the guys, I, I guess, I, I feel attracted to the most because they're, they're not just doing it you know, I'm not saying well-paid athletes are doing it for the money, but there's just something special about those, you know, the runners, the swimmers, the, you know, and everyone that's around them that gets up at insane hours of the day to get their kids and teenagers and so on to, to, to even have a chance of becoming an athlete. So we as practitioners, it's an honor to get involved in that process. And yes, it's, it's, it's awesome to be with a gold medal winner to a, you know, mega famous, multi, multi, multi millionaire athlete and get well paid for your work. But I think a lot of us, if we really wanted to be super well paid, we wouldn't necessarily have chosen this pathway, at least not initially. Um, and I would, you know, I certainly wouldn't mind talking about the importance of looking at this as a passion, but also you know, learning how to be a bit of an entrepreneur in, in, in what you do so that you also become well-paid in what you do. But I think it works together. You're only really going to be really good at what you do if you love what you do. And if you don't love what you do, you're certainly not going to be that useful to the athletes that you work in because at the end of the day, they need to see that 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 enthusiasm, that expertise, that that sort of 
that person that's going to be able to help them get that gold medal because it's down to trust. You know, are you, are you, are you that guy? Um, so if you love what you do, that's a good start because then you'll learn and you'll be passionate and you'll get into it. So. so throughout the early stage of your career, so you mentioned about uh, personal training, going into strength conditioning. Yeah. What really lit the fire in terms of nutrition and, and then also just tying into that as well. If you could sort of round up your general approach to nutrition, what would that be? So, so basically, I think anyone that works with with people, whether it's regular people, which is what I was doing back then, I didn't work with any athletes back in those days, um, or obviously with athletes, everyone's got to eat, number one. Most people are very interested, if not extremely interested, in changing their body composition, whether it's for what they look like, um, whether it's for their, you know, weight making or you know, to, you know, to reduce injury risk in certain sports and so on. But also, of course, there's crossover because a lot of athletes still want to look good. I mean, they're human beings. You know, again, you know, you score, your football player who scores a goal, you know, does all their sliding around on the grass antics, rips off their shirt. They get more press attention and, you know, Instagram attention and so on if they've got a bit of a six-pack going then. You know, so um, throughout my career, nutrition has always been something that the clients would always talk to you about. It's always about nutrition. And, um, you know, back when I started, there was no Twitter. And, you know, this should be a black and white videoed conversation at this point. But there was no Twitter. There was none of these things. You know, so you, you, you didn't hear all this, all the fads and all the craziness. You did pick them up in different ways. Um but one way or the other, it just ignited an interest in me, possibly because, uh, as my name may suggest, I'm you know from a French background. I'm half French. I was raised in a French household. My mother was French and obsessed by cooking and the importance of the quality of food, the aesthetics of food. Um, you know, the importance of food is bringing a family together. It's a social thing. You know, food isn't just about macros and calories and that sort of thing. So that always piqued my interest in nutrition. And, and, you know, that just led from one thing to another, not just being interested, reading up on it, attending little certification courses. And that just, you know, creeped me up to where I am now. And I'm still sort of obsessed by it. Um, um, With regards to how I approach nutrition, it is an entirely individualized thing. I mean, for me now, it's it has to be bespoke to the individual. Um, one size does not fit all, not really. Um, also, if you appreciate that everyone wants wants their advice to be for them personally. So if you don't personalize the information, it, it just it's less sexy to them, it's less interesting, it's less appealing, and you'll get less buy-in. And buy-in is essential in nutrition. You know, I can tell someone how many macros to eat and how many calories and so on, but if they don't really buy in to what I'm asking them to do, if they don't trust my advice and if they don't like the way I've presented it, I, I, did I tell them loads of sciencey stuff and numbers, you know, which they haven't got a clue what I'm talking about? Um, or if I haven't given it to them in a decent, you know, um, a decent format, um, then they're not able to do what I'm asking them to do, or they, you know, misconstrue it. So I, I go to great lengths to find out all that personal stuff about my my clients, which does include, 
testing and assessments and various other things, but also an assessment of how they're likely to interpret and understand what it is I'm going to say. So I will classify my clients in different ways, you know, people who are more visual, people who are more data-driven, um, and ultimately develop that relationship. And that relationship is a, is a key part of that process. Um, it, it, you know, that was something actually I got from PT, from S&C, was the relationship is an, is an essential part um, of that process. And then once you've learned about that person, which is the first thing you should do, you then learn how to give them what they need and what they need. Um, so I know that's fairly uh, uh, sort of broad, but that is how I approach nutrition. So it very much depend on the context. Um, on how how I would I would do it, you know. So basically, some are simple, some are complex. Because after speaking to a lot of players and coaches, a lot of people get very uh, confused with with what to do with nutrition. And I think it's one area in particular that there's so much stuff out there and conflicting information that people all seem to be in different. So they, they'll argue their side, won't they? And it's like it, it turns into a bit of a religion in a way in terms of uh, they believe in yeah, area, and then they, they stick by it, don't they? So it becomes very hard for coaches and players to understand. So how would you, at what, how would you break that down and make it easier for, for coaches and players? So, okay, so, so my doctorate focused on evidence-based practice in sport and exercise and nutrition. Um, and actually, that's what, um, again, just to drop in a bit more about what I'm up to, um, I've actually decided to go back to school and I'm, I'm now doing, beyond my doctorate now, another degree in evidence-based practice um, at Oxford University, which I start later this year. Um, so I'm really happy about that. Um, and the, the reason why that's important is because that's entirely related to what you just mentioned. There's all this confusion, there's all this noise, all this pseudoscience. But at the very core of evidence-based practice um, are a number of things, one of which is obviously, um, which people are more familiar with, is, is the quality of the evidence. You know, is it, is it, is it actually science-based um, is one area, and that's in itself something we can talk about for hours. But also, is it actually suitable um, to the individual's needs and, and requirements. Is it what they want? And this is a problem is that as practitioners, we tend to give people what they think they need without actually spending any time asking them what they want. Um, the reason why I say that's important is because it goes back to the buy-in and the trust issue. If, if, you, don't, if you don't give someone what they want, at least in a certain format, they won't stick with it. They won't take it. Um, you can manipulate after time. You can change um, where you go with something to maybe more of an area that as a highly experienced practitioner, you might know that that's where they really need to go. But it really does need to go. You need to start with their actual needs and personal preferences. Um, you know, again, I know that's a bit of a broad area, but that's not what happens. You know, the average... The average client, professional athlete that comes work with me, let's say football player, they've already got a team nutritionist. So, I, you know, it's a gray area here, but a lot of football players do actually seek private advice. One thing is because they're trying to be private about what they're doing and they don't want necessarily to do everything at the club. But the other main influence behind that is because they're not getting what they want from the club. And that is 
that they're giving generalized advice. It's usually posters on a wall, you know, in the in the in the cafe or something, or handouts. They don't read generally. Um, and it's information that they don't understand. Like, you know, everyone should eat, you know, it's it's game day minus one today, so let's all eat three and a half thousand calories and let's, you know, let's up the carbs today and so on. But they, they don't necessarily understand what that means. Um, so they seek individual information and therein lies the problem is because oftentimes the practitioners that are within the club setting might only be there one, two days a week and all they've got time for is, you know, 30, 40 athletes, sometimes the academy and the first team, and they're doing body comps and various other things. Um, they may not even have time for it. Um, so it's really important that you actually engage and connect with the individuals. You know, it's a team, but it's a team of individuals. Um, and there's various ways of doing that, even if you're time pressured, which is something I found I had to learn to do uh, with the teams I've worked with, and particularly at the World Cup. I think that's a really interesting point because when we've spoken um, to players before, that's feedback, not just on a nutrition level, but also like a, a strength conditioning level as well, that they, they don't, they're not having that individualized approach and players are, are crying out for it a lot of the time. So I do think that is across a number and, and you see it, you've, I think you've seen it before from nutrition, possibly psychology, um, strength conditioning and a few different areas, haven't you, across what a player needs to prepare well, I think, look, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter who you are or how much you earn. You, you, you like customization and personalization. You know, you've got your, your phones, your computers, your laptops, your cars, whatever it is, you customize. You know, do you want leather seats? Do you want, you know, regular seats? Do you want super-duper stereo? Do you want sat-nav? You know, you have different wallpaper on your laptop. You have different apps and gadgets. You're either a Mac person or a PC person. You know, so if we're gonna if we're gonna just assume that everyone's gonna be a one size fits all approach, you know, that shotgun approach is gonna have very, very, very marginal broad effects, particularly with professional um, players who are paid good money. Um, they expect more than what you're delivering because they, they, you know, they're even in like customized champagne, bespoke, you know, stitching on their car seats. They all get, you know, uh, unique um, versions of a Rolex or something. And then what you're giving them is a one size fits all, you know, 30 quid sort of online meal plan. No, 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 no. It doesn't, it's not going to work because it, 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 to them, it, it's not well considered. It's, it, you know, it doesn't meet with their expectations. And I think this is, I mean, I'm not saying this is an easy thing to get around, you know, um, because of course, if, if all you have is one day a week at a club or if you're the SNC coach, um, you know, and there's only one or two of you, uh, which is the case for particularly in um, the lower leagues, you know, they don't have, you know, a whole team of SNC coaches. Um, it's very difficult, but there are still ways um, to give you know someone what they want, or at least some level of, of personalization. But if you're not even thinking about this, then maybe you know part of the solution is to be aware of this, which is of course what we're now talking about, isn't it? And if we if we take it on to a specific period in your uh, in your career that we've uh, mentioned previously at the World Cup, yeah. this is an that really interests me. Um, I'm just going to be selfish now and ask you questions that I want to know rather than everyone else, but I hope everyone else wants to know as well. Um, some of the challenges you faced. So 
I think I'm right in saying that, that, that I don't know whether all the players, but some of the players were, were um, going through Ramadan at that period. So that involves um, or, a fast, is that right? So that, yeah, so this is why I got contracted basically is um, Egypt, you know, had this opportunity to participate in the World Cup. Um, and really at the end of the day, um, I was a bit naive uh, uh, if I was to, uh, I mean, I'm very experienced, of course, so I knew that there would be a lot of challenges here, but I didn't really realize what I was dealing with until I actually got there. I mean, let's just look at this. So you mentioned Ramadan. For those that don't understand, Ramadan, um, you know, it, it, it's, not a, it's, it, it's not a fad. It's not a, a trend. It's, it's, it's a very, very important part of the Muslim faith, the Muslim religion. And, um, you know, as, as things happen, um, the World Cup was timed so exquisitely that um, the, uh, the, the, the month of, uh, the, 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 you know, the fasting period, which is roughly a month, I say roughly because it does depend, there are variations on um, the versions of, of, of Islam that you're following and there's different interpretations of, um, of that, which I won't bore you with now, but uh, some 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 of the uh, players would do four weeks. Some would actually go on for five weeks. Um, but Ramadan ended literally, you know, um, just before the first game that we had in Russia. But we had, you know, six weeks out in uh, Europe and the Middle East on our camp, um, training and playing friendly games against all sorts of teams like Belgium and you know, um, Kuwait and um, and so on. So there was just loads of teams that we played. It was, it was amazing in itself. Um, but Ramadan, you know, throughout that period is a situation where during daylight hours, no food or drink can cross your lips. So so some firstly, people didn't realise that. Some people think you can drink. No, you can't do anything. So during daylight hours, right, all the games typically occur during daylight hours or um, if they are at night, which a lot of them were, the training sessions would be during the day. But, you know, you, you would be in a situation where you would have to compete or train where many, many hours have passed by without any food or drink. So knowing that that would be an issue for them, they, they headhunted me to help with them. I have some experience in this working with Muslim um, uh, combat uh, athletes like uh, fighters like Danny Williams converted to Islam when I was working with him uh, not because I was working with him I should add um, but when he was when I was working with him and um, that hit one of his title fights and uh, so it was great you know I learned a lot about them um, but that alone is not the only constraint um, because obviously there was a huge amount of travel uh, we had more travel than any other team um, we were based in uh, during the World Cup itself in Chechnya um, which is uh, a fair distance from where we were playing most of our games in uh, in Russia. So there were many uh, aeroplane flights, um, but also different time zones. So, you know, daylight comes and goes um, at different, you know, at different times of the day, depending on where you are on the planet. Um, so that had its challenges. Travel itself obviously has, has challenges with aeroplanes and hotels. Um, um, if you're Muslim, then of course uh, there are, you know, halal is important. So there was a great deal involved there. Plus, a lot of the players, um, although they were Egyptian, 
Um, well, most of them, English was not only not their first language, an awful lot of them just didn't speak English. In fact, what I was surprised by was um, a number of them play for British um, or European or American, um, you know, professional teams. Um, some of them didn't speak a word of English, even though they played for those teams. So that was quite interesting. So uh, there were language barriers, um, which any any of the listeners that are going to be um, you know, working at or, or for other players that are playing at, for example, in the Premier League, you know, you got to, you get used to working with a lot of uh, foreigners. Um, but with that comes different cultures, different interests, different likes, different dislikes. Um, but also some of our players were playing for Premier League teams um, or Championship League teams. Um, and some were just playing for Egyptian teams or for Saudi Arabian League teams. Huge levels of experiences some of them were well used to performance nutritionists and sports scientists some of them had never even had their body fat taken i mean it's it just mind-boggling mixture um so i had to deal with all all of that um which fortunately i was with the team for you know many months before the actual world cup so i got to get my head around a lot of these things but you know people think it's just a case of uh, well you just you know come up with nutritional meal plans for people no 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 <laughs> It's way more complicated than that. And you've also got, um, I mean, the big issue, obviously, with, with athletes in that setting is hydration. Um, for training and for performance, we're looking at fueling adaptations to training, recovery. Um, there's a lot of issues there, you know, analyzing um, body composition. So I'm also assessing that. I'm, I'm assessing uh, uh, hydration, sweat rates. Uh, I was a busy, busy man, and all of that then would help me determine my nutritional recommendations that I would share with the chef or with the hotels or with the airlines um, and, of course, with each individual player when I would have those opportunities uh, to be with the players. My advantage, of course, being that I, you know, I literally you know, ate, slept, and trained with those boys uh, for the entire period. Um, not like at a club where we rock up to work for a number of hours and go back home. I was with them for the entire period, which was an honor in many ways, um, but was a different experience yet again. So it fascinates me the approach you take with that, because like for, for anyone working who, or has previously worked with any sort of athlete in any sport, we touch on the importance of hydration. We touch on the importance of nutrition, like constantly. So when players are going hours without um any water or they're going hours without any food but then they're still required to perform such yeah. a, i mean the biggest the biggest tournament in the world like how do you approach that what what is the pr approach you take so that yeah so fortunately you know there are there has been some work on intermittent fasting um, in various contexts. And that's basically what this is. It's, you know, for intermittent periods of time as you're fasting. The problem is when you add in training and obviously competition, but travel, um, but also the, the religious side of it is that, that they've also got to pray, right? And in this case, they would pray in the middle of the night. So there are also constraints on when you can feed people, when you can hydrate them. We know that you know, there were constraints by daylight hours being one factor, but they also, you know, they might only have a little bit of time and then they might want to have personal time to talk to their family on the phone or internet. They might need to pray, might be a team meeting, 
um, training and so on. So, you know, a lot of a lot of what you read in textbooks is all based on nice, you know, tightly controlled studies. It's extremely biased towards, um, you know, perfection for the purposes of a nice, squeaky clean scientific study. And the whole point of that is to reduce uh, the complexity of it um, so that it's easy to read and interpret the information. Um, so you can understand, um, you know, what's going on and, and actually, uh, determine, uh, you know, uh, 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 make, you know, determine what's going on for the purposes of, um, writing up your, your paper and, and so on. But in practice, in the real world, you know, theory is clearly, is clear, is rarely clearly articulated. You know, you're in the trenches, the bombs are going off. Uh, stuff's going on. You got to do what you can and when you do. So that was a large part of my role. There was yeah. I, look, I know. I teach this stuff. I know all about periodization of carbohydrates. You know how to precisely determine nutritional needs of an individual. But that's all great. But but if your player cannot eat or drink, you know one hour. You know four hours before a competition or two hours before. You know let's get all let's get all our timings right and then immediately after let's you know get this protein protein carbohydrate. But what if they can't do that? So a lot of it then becomes a very practical pragmatic issue of you know okay well maybe rather than expecting them to eat meals uh, in the middle of the night they're not likely to be hungry uh, they haven't got time to go downstairs to the restaurant. Um, or chomp their way through food, so maybe we make up smoothies. They can neck the smoothie in the middle of the night. Um, they can still pray and go back to sleep with minimal fuss, but they got their nutrition, they got their hydration. So that was one thing, and I really got into smoothies in a big way. Um, you know, you can get a lot of calories in and a lot of good stuff in without really being worried about someone's appetite. It won't disturb their digestion in any particularly significant way. As long as you've accounted for any, you know, uh, issues they might have if they're dairy intolerant or whatever, which for the most part nobody was, but there was a few players that had, you know, a few issues. Um, but at the end of the day, I had to do that too. I would have to customize the smoothies. I would have maybe five different types of smoothies based on what I perceive to be five different requirements of players, which might be based on whether they're playing or on the bench, whether they're likely to start the game. Um, whether they needed to lose some body fat, I still had to correct body composition in some players only only you know a month before the World Cup. Um, so I would then deliver them uh, to their rooms um, in the middle of the night. Um, so I didn't get so much sleep during the uh, the World Cup. I can tell you that. Uh, and then you know at other times of the day when we were able to get them into you know the uh, the restaurant. Uh, for example, in the hotels, um, then I would have, you know, I worked very closely with the chef um, and, and we had amazing food, amazing quality food uh, at most of the destinations that we were at. And then um, I would have different stations uh, um, for foods where there would be protein foods, um, you know, vegetables and, and carbohydrates and so on. And I would enable the player through a WhatsApp system um, what foods they should go for. So um, bearing in mind they didn't speak English, uh, I would use pictures and infographics and images, and then I would WhatsApp the relevant people so that they knew which buffet stations to go for and what types of foods to go for. Um, 
or uh, uh, when I was having them uh, uh, putting their smoothie, you know, I knew that their mindset, they'd be tired and they would be going to um, pray. Uh, so I just WhatsApp them a picture of a smoothie outside their front door. I mean, you just got to think outside the box because it may not be perfect timing, but you've got to get something into them as well. So I would say that a huge amount of what I did was less about science and more about practice and very much about thinking on my feet and being practical and really having to adjust, you know, with the punches, so to speak. And there were many, many problems that occurred on the road that you had to, you know, to deal with. Like, for example, one place we ended up and they did not have halal food. So, you know, that caused some issues, as you can imagine. Um, you know, so... Um, uh, on the topic of Ramadan, um, I, I, I'm publishing a few papers on that soon um, so people can read about the more technical aspects about it. But we got around it, put it that way. Yeah, I think that's obviously it's a, it's a bit more extreme, isn't it, in terms of the challenges that you face there? But it is real life as well, isn't it? Like these are the things that you come up against. You know, uh, and we were playing, normally, we were playing teams that weren't fasting because they weren't they didn't have muslim players or some of them did have muslim players but a lot of them weren't participating they weren't that faithful um or some of them the clerics had told them they didn't have to to fast that, that was interesting because uh, um right at the last minute our, our boys were told uh, by a you know very important holy man that that actually they're doing this for their country and for allah therefore they didn't necessarily have to subscribe to ramadan but they still did. Every single player was really, 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 you know, true to their faith. Um, uh, and, and there's something that's interesting there, and that is um, y y there is fear of shame. Um, and you'd be letting yourself down, your family down, and your friends down. And um, that's a whole other ballgame when you're talking to athletes with a strong faith. Um, it's very interesting. It is. It is definitely. It's, it's, it's something I wanted to speak to you about because I find that I find it fascinating how how the players have managed to get through that period and perform. Um, did you? Was there periods where, or any individual cases where players were struggling for energy or yeah. like severely hydrated and, and times like yeah, that? So, so you know, inevitably, you get some players that are playing in every game. Um, so that hit, it, they were getting hit harder than some. We were in really hot countries as well. I mean, you know, for example, when we were in, uh, we had a, a two-week camp in Italy. Um, in, um, uh, and it, I mean, that was hot. It was really hot. So I remember I was going out for runs and just going, wow, this is hot. Um, so that was a challenge. Um, but also um, out in Kuwait, man, that place is hot. Woo! Um, so we had that uh, to deal with. So, and back in Cairo, periodically we'd be there, obviously, and that, that was hot as well. But you've got to remember, they're used to it. So, yeah. And these guys have won the African Nations Cup uh, many times, and there's a mindset thing too. You know, intermittent fasting is not, it's not ideal for performance, but you can do it. And part of it will be a mindset. If it's what you do, you just, you know, forgive me for swearing, but you just get shit done, right? And um, there's ways around it. I was able to ameliorate most of the problems through um, well-planned strategies that I've given you a small insight into. Um, whilst it wasn't perfect, remember that football, is not they're not running 26 miles flat out in hot weather. It's intermittent activity. You know, they get to run around and stop and so on. 
Our boys, though, did, uh, if you look at the GPS data, they, they were amongst the top teams in terms of running around. Um, so despite that, they did okay, bearing in mind, yeah, we didn't win or anything, but, you know, but, but we survived. Um, and there were no uh, injuries as such, apart from one player who, who, who started the campaign injured, who just happened to be the most important player. Uh, no, so let me rephrase that. They're all important. Everyone was important, but it did not help that one of our top players, um, you know, Mo Salah was, uh, uh, was injured, uh, which affected uh, morale, obviously. But um, we got him back on his feet as well. So that was a good move. And that's one area I wanted to speak to you about is when you do get an injured player, um, and obviously in a tournament like that, what what is your approach and how does that change the nutrition approach to a player? Well, with, so, you know, with, with players um, that got injured, fortunately there weren't too many, but there were a, a few. And, you, you know, the usual thing is like ligament sprains or tears. Um, obviously, most Salah had his, his, you know, his shoulder injury. Um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of people involved. So you've got the doctors, you've got the, the physios, um, you've, you've, you know, and you've obviously got me, the nutritionist and, and, um, the fitness coaches, you've got the manager, he's got his own idea and is obviously desperate to get someone like Mo Salah back on the pitch, um, because he's that good and that dangerous on the pitch. Um, so there's a lot of people that have to work together. As long as you work as at a team, you can all get your, your angles right. For me, my approach is very much about making sure that the high quality foods, um, I, you know, I, I know who a lot of the world experts are on various topics because I talk to them in my own podcast. So I was very lucky to have the ear of Professor Keith Barr, um, and uh, he helped me construct a an approach um, where we look where we used um, a, a halal version of gelatin um, for the benefits that collagen peptides can have in helping to improve those kinds of injuries, as, uh, which he had, for example, as well as some other nutritional protocols that would aid the, you know, the physio's work um, and, and his general fitness, for example, and the other players would, would be the same. So it is very individualized and customized, but one of the problems can be that players, you know, through anxiety and stress can start to overeat some of the wrong foods. Um, so we have to ameliorate weight gain. Um, but on the other hand, we still need them ready um, within a, you know, we, we need them to get them, return them to play as the phrase as fast as as possible. Um, but it will boil down to good quality food, you know, getting the right amount of protein, fats and carbohydrates and that sort of thing. So that that was an example of where I did very individualized, customized approaches. Um, for example, with, with Mo, I would create um, personalized uh, smoothies for him that had extra special ingredients in there, my secret recipes, um, evidence-based, mind you, um, to help support his, um, you know, his, his fitness training, but also his physical therapy routines to include uh, targeted collagen peptide, you know, strategies, um, you know, which pit to, to work one, one way or the other, he did get back on pitch. And when a, when a player first comes to you, so not necessarily just when you've worked in team environments, but also individually as well. Yeah. 
and you touched on it a little bit before, but what, what are some of the, the questions you'll ask that player and also um, the sort of considerations of different areas? So you said before about whether the player was playing or not, whether they were going to be on the bench. Yeah. What are some of the other things that you'd want to know? What's the information you'd need to design a nutrition protocol? So uh, first thing is, is have they, you know, what, what is the level of knowledge? Like some of them are very knowledgeable about nutrition. In fact, they've gone too far. They're into all of the crazy sciencey rubbish that's out there. Um, that they might have, they might adopt fads like veganism. Uh, I'm not saying veganism is a fad, but it is popular. And you can still be an elite football player and be a vegan, but you're going to need some help with that. And usually, uh, in my experience, they're doing these things, whether it's keto, low carb, uh, vegan, vegetarian, whatever, but they're not even doing it right. Um, you know, it, you know, I've had many that are saying, oh, I'm doing vegan. And I look at their diet. I said, that's not, that's not a vegan. That's not even a vegan diet, dude. Um, so, um, or low carb, you know, they're eating like 200 grams of carbs a day and they think they're doing low carb diet. That's not low carb. <laughs> Under 50 grams might be, you know, but that's totally different. So, again, it's trying to get an angle of what they, what are they doing and what do they think they're doing. I typically actually use something like an app um, on a phone which enables them to photograph what they're doing. I, I'm not too uh, trustworthy of uh, what people tell me. A lot of, a, lot of um, a lot of clients have a bad habit of telling their practitioners what they think they want them to hear or, or, or just what they're willing to admit the great thing about using things like WhatsApp and so on is you can just picture everything that you're doing and then it's much easier for me to interpret. And a picture paints a thousand words. So you can see, you know, just take a picture of your kitchen, take a picture of your fridge, take a picture of every meal and snack that you do. Show me the label on your supplement. You know, you learn so much. You can tell if they can cook or if they can't cook. You know, I, athletes will say, I, I, I'm really healthy, you know, and you see, but there wasn't a single vegetable. In fact, the only green thing was a pea, and that's not really a vegetable. That's more of a carbohydrate, you know, or I eat loads of fish, but in the pictures, it's, you know, fish fingers. Um, you get it all. You get it all. So I think before you give advice, you have to learn as much as possible. And as I was inferring earlier, you know, it's only by doing that that you then can sit there and think, right, okay, now I understand what I'm dealing with. I can now find a solution to the problem because what a lot of people do is they start throwing the evidence-based approach, the sciencey thing, and they start giving them like all these technical meal plans and so on. And it might be based on the most amazing science and it might be a fantastic solution, but to some other person's problem because the wrong, an amazing solution, but to the wrong pro, to the wrong problem is not a good solution. So that's where the practitioner is, is the, the filter, the interpreter, the, uh, you know, you, 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 you're not there to be a science person. You're there to understand and translate everything into something meaningful and relevant to the athlete, to the player, or to professionals that are working with these people that will result in actual buy-in and consistently doing what you ask them to do. Because nutrition is one of those things you've got to be consistent with it. Um, you know, just being good occasionally or trying to compensate for a bad meal with supplements is not a solution. Um, but you won't know any of that unless you really take a peek. And that nowadays we have the technology to understand so much about people. Um, and then, like I say, you get to interpret it and then come up with a, 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 an actual solution. 
And from my experience, I, I completely agree. I think the consistency is something that people don't stick to, but also that people tend to go to extremes as well, don't they? Like oh. they'll go, they'll do a, what they see as a, a high carb and then they, they'll feel like that doesn't necessarily suit them. So then they'll go to a, a drastically low carb and there's nowhere in in between. There's no sort of small changes. It's It's real drastic changes. And like you mentioned about, veganism or the carnivore diet and all these crazy things that are going on people don't actually and i really i really like the approach that you're taking where you're saying that you need to learn about that person and also the knowledge of that person because if you throw something like that at them they're not going to know where to start are they well see particularly with something like nutrition because you 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 know i don't have they're not coming in and i'm not training them right i'm not massaging them i'm not sticking needles into that like this is i have to give them information that they then have to take away and when i'm not there actually put it into practice so it is really important that what you give them is something that they're actually going to put into practice but also what you give them is what you what you what you actually want them to do because another problem is, is, is we use the word translation. Well, translational issues are a big problem in our field. Um, I say something, the, the client or the student or the person or whatever interprets it their way and goes and does it and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. But actually what I ask them to do and what they're doing is not the same thing because there was translational problems. So as a practitioner, you need to be aware of those things. Uh, make sure that you give them what they need um, so that it's not being mistranslated or, or, you know, misunderstood. And oftentimes that means ultimately it is better to simplify things, not oversimplify, obviously, but simplify things, or, but also maybe reduce the number of things you're trying to get them to do. And ultimately that might be just changing habits and behaviors. You know, uh, you know the common thing for some people is, you know, they're having, uh, let's say, um, sugar in their tea, you know, two sugars in their tea, maybe just one sugar to begin with, then two weeks later, half a sugar, you know, you're modifying those habits and behaviors. Um, maybe they're having two slices of, um, what, you know, white toast every morning rather than going, that's carbs, cut out the carbs. No, maybe just circle look. Let's, let's change the white toast to brown toast. Then a few weeks later, let's go down to one slice of toast. Now, let's think about periodizing. Okay, if you're not training today, you don't really need the toast, do you? Just have, you know, eggs and berries or something, or that's an odd mix maybe. But, you know, that's how you do it. But you only know this if you're paying attention. Um, I guess a key thing here is you've got to build in accountability. Accountability to the client, accountability to the practitioner. You know, we're more familiar with that in sports science or S&C where we might initially, you know, uh, do some performance tests, you know, uh, test strength, power, um, endurance. You know, there are various metrics you can use. Even, you know, your, 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 uh, for recreational fitness, you might use a watch, GPS tracker watch, that sort of thing. Nutrition, um, you know, the equivalent of that is, yeah, we need to do weight, body composition. But like I say, things like, you know, um, um, uh, photographs, um, you know, uh, short, medium, long-term goals, establishing baselines that you can actually test for. So um, that's like, uh, you know, my thing is test, don't guess, um, and then constantly come back to that. So, you know, assess, prescribe, monitor, 
um, and uh, repeat that cycle, um, you know, to, uh, uh, and audit it regularly. Uh, check in, see how you're doing, and then modify and adapt. That's how I do everything that I do, basically. And would you would your advice to be um, if players are at a certain level and they've tried a few uh, different nutrition approaches, would you look at getting players' bloods done? Would that be an area that you'd look at? To, and then obviously you talk to them about um, going on feel as well and all, all, the, all the other sort of a, um, things yeah, that come so with that. it depends. The, the, so, you know, we, we should mention the scope of practice here. So, you, you got, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. Lots of tests, lots of assessments. Um, are they evidence-based? You know, things like food intolerance tests, DNA um, testing, you know, th- those are not really what I would call evidence-based. Uh, at least they're not quality evidence-based methods of assessment. Um, you know, uh, Isaac Skinfold, DEXA, uh, certain kinds of blood tests, maybe like vitamin D. Um, there, there are no iron studies. These things are, you know, relevant to the scope of practice of performance nutrition. Caveat to though that is, is are you actually qualified to do this stuff? Um, are you a registered practitioner like Senna or AFN? You know, I'm registered with both of those bodies, but you know, there's a lot of things there um, because you can, you know, yes, you can do these things, but do you know how to interpret them? You know, um, because if you're going to use tools like blood tests, for example, you need, to, you know, whether it's in your scope of practice is one issue. The other one is, is do you really know what it means? Because if you're going to use this information, whether it's GPS data. Um, you know, metabolic testing, like in my clinic, I have a full lab, so I'm doing a metabolic fitness tests to assess things like substrate utilization, you know, fuel usage during exercise. I'm able to assess resting metabolism. Um, I have all sorts of, you know, toys and gadgets to assess, like breath testing for breath hydrogen analysis to see if someone's intolerant to, you know, things like uh, certain kinds of sugars or has small bowel bacterial overgrowth. You know, I can do all these things, but I know how to interpret this stuff because I've spent a long time learning. If you don't know what you're doing, then that information will cloud your view on something and give you the impression that you're doing one thing, but the reality is you're probably doing something else because you've not understood how to interpret it. And at the end of the day, that information informs your practice. It informs the advice that you give. Um, and it might be great testing, but in the wrong tools, great tools, but in the wrong hands will cause damage and havoc at the end of the day. So if you don't know what you're doing with it, just leave it out. But yes, I do lots of those things. And just finally, Lauren, because I don't want to take up all your time. I know it's very valuable and I really do appreciate you coming on. But I wanted to ask you, um, in football a lot of the time, especially in the lower leagues like you know, you'll yeah. have a practitioner that, that might be it could be a, a, new, a number of different titles that they actually fall under, but they'll cover everything from, and we've spoke to some guys on the podcast, strength, conditioning, nutrition, recovery. Yeah. We'll have all these different things to try and do. trade sometimes, yeah. So what would your advice be to someone in terms of, uh, in, in terms of looking after the nutrition with all the other things they have to try and factor for? So, right. So if you're not a specialist in that area, but you are at the coal face with these guys and you're the one that has their trust and their advice. There's nothing wrong in my view with giving some quality basic advice. And by basic advice, I mean the essentials, right? Nothing complex, 
Nothing extreme, but general advice, like what I just said, you know, if, if someone's eating white bread, then upgrade it to brown bread. If they're not eating vegetables, they need to eat vegetables. They need to improve the quality of their, you know, their proteins, um, you know, from, say, fish fingers to, you know, chicken breast or, you know, salmon or, you know, eggs or what. You know, there's a, there's, there, there, and there are some evidence-based sources of information that they can get that sort of information from. Um, just by looking, you know, um, at uh, uh, from government guidelines to um, there are position stand papers by the IOC on nutrition and athletic performance, um, the ISSM position stand on, say, diets and body composition, which I co-authored. Um, you know, the IOC have some position stands you know that that information is pretty pretty solid and standard and you you know that that basic information is good for everyone really so that's that once once you fall outside of that refer you haven't got time to mess up an individual you know you might think you know what you're doing but you need to take a, an honest look at yourself and go you know if, if all you've done is a weekend certification or something online for a couple of weeks it, it's not enough um, if you want to do that, go learn it. Go to university there are, or wherever. There's numerous places you can get quality education in this field, but know the limits of your knowledge. But without doubt, help people by pointing them in the right direction. And, and every trainer, you know, particularly those of you that are trained in, in sports science, um, strength conditioning, to a certain extent, personal training, you know, you, you've already got a pretty good basic knowledge and understanding of, of these things. So there's a lot you can do to help people. But like I say, just be careful how how specialized you're getting with your advice and recommendations because it's almost certainly not going to be correct because you haven't spent years learning this stuff. Oh, I think that's great advice. And I, I just wanted to get that because I know there's a lot of guys that probably be in that position that are listening. Um, well, me, the reason why, the reason why, look, I've been, as I said, I've been doing this 27 years. Look, 27 years ago, I was giving bad advice. <laughs> and I learned the hard way, you know, and you lose clients. You don't get a great reputation. At the end of the day, you are only going to benefit yourself and your professional career by doing a good job. And what that means is being mindful of how how good is the quality of your information and recommendations? And if it's not a, if it's not bang on, don't do it. it. You know, people will respect you more if you say, do you know what, that's not my area. Why don't you go see this person? And do you know what, that person will refer back to you, someone else who, you know, fitness training or strength conditioning is not their area. Um, so, you know, that's how you develop a referral network. I've developed a very strong referral network at a very high level because that's how I operate. There are things that I do. I know all sorts of things nowadays. But if it's not my thing, then I refer out and they refer back. Um, but the client will never come back to you. They will, they will speak badly of you within the team setting if you gave them bad advice. So think, think twice before telling somebody to do something if you're not actually really that qualified to do it. I think that relates right back to the start as well when you first started talking about buying, doesn't it? Exactly. Trust is everything. It is absolutely everything. Trust from your clients, trust from your colleagues, trust in yourself, your own self-esteem. Um, it's a long journey, folks. Look, I'm 46, okay? I've been doing this for 27 years or something. I've still got many years ahead of me. I've achieved at very high levels now, but that's because I now subscribe to that policy. You know, I, I, I continue to educate myself always. 
Uh, I engage constantly in professional education. I practice, practice, practice. I, I practice a great deal of reflective practice so I can learn and understand why did I do that? Was that a good idea? Maybe not. Um, you know, um, there's a lot to be learned from that because at the end of the day, I know that I will continue to go onwards and upwards in my career if I am doing the best thing that I can for my client. Not best thing for me, the best thing I can for my clients. Because if I'm doing the very best for them, it comes back to you in many other ways. And that's all you want. You know, your reputation will go from strength to strength if you are that dedicated consummate professional, which definitely means stop doing things that you shouldn't be doing. I think that's top advice and a great way to wrap it up. I, I really do appreciate your time. Um, have, you, have you got any speaking engagements coming up or anything like that that the guys can be aware yes, of? Yes, um, if you're publishing this podcast very soon, um, next weekend I'm speaking at the Body Power, um, which is more for recreational sort of people. Um, uh, I'm going to be speaking in Istanbul uh, in the near future to the Turkish um, Sports Nutrition Association. I've got a variety of other conferences that I'll be speaking at this year, which will all be announced soon enough. Um, and obviously I've got my own plug, my own We Do Science, the Group Performance We Do Science podcast. Um, I've got a series of um, very technical podcasts. Um, so if you really want to gorge on the science side of things then I interview lots of professors um, and uh, of course our own educational programs that we offer at the Guru Performance Institute you can learn about it there uh, I also forgot to mention amongst the many things that I do is I also run an MSc um, and I've just uh, taken on a, a role also as the program leader for the, for the new MSc um, which I've helped create at the University of Wales Trinity St David's um, so that's my, uh, uh, my, my academic uh, angle there too. Um, um, but yeah, my website, laurelbannock.com uh, or guruperformance.com is, is where you can learn about all the uh, conferences and lectures and so on and so forth. And if the guys want any more technical information, like you said, I know you've, uh, I think I saw one that where you spoke about collagen peptides in a bit more depth. Well, I've, so. been, you know, I've interviewed Keith Barr, Professor Keith Barr, where we get into the nitty gritty of the science behind that. Most topics you can think of that relate to nutrition or some exercise physiology topics um, we get into on, on my on my podcast. So it's on iTunes. Amazing. No, I really appreciate your time and uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll we'll catch up soon. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks a lot. Big thank you to Laurent for coming on the episode. I've been wanting to get someone to come on for a while and talk about uh, nutrition. And um, yeah, he's, he's definitely one of the, the top of the field in that area because his, I don't think anyone could compare to his experience and the amount of people he's worked with and um, the teams, the players that he's worked with across many different sports like he spoke about in the episode so it was great to chat with him he was someone that um, I could have kept speaking to so I looked up at the time when we were recording the podcast didn't realise over an hour had gone um, and that just shows that I'd, I'd just really got into it in this conversation and just wanted to know more about the approach he'd take with players um, in different scenarios so it was really really good to have him on I'm really grateful for his time um, some of my biggest takeaways were when he spoke about one size not fitting all and the fact that players 
feel the need to have that individualized approach and especially with nutrition. Um, the insight into the World Cup in, in terms of what he did with Egypt I thought was fascinating. Really, really good to hear him speak about that. And then also when he spoke about buying, um, so he said about players buying into to methods and that comes down to relationships. And we spoke about that time and time again on the podcast about the importance of building relationships. And it just shows that it isn't just strength and conditioning or sports science. It is across many other roles, um, including nutrition. So that was great to hear him speak about all that. You can go and follow Laurent on uh, Twitter. He's at Laurent underscore Bannock. So it's at and then L-A-U. R-E-N-T underscore B-A-N-N-O-C-K um, go and follow him he puts out loads of great information and you can also go and check out his podcast which is um, called Guru Performance so it's hashtag we do science and that's available on iTunes he has loads of great guests on there I know he said about in the a podcast that he goes a little bit more in depth into certain areas so if you are interested in nutrition and looking into it a little bit further then that is definitely something to go and check out as always guys massive thank you for listening to the podcast um the fact that they, we are getting recognized by people like lauren and getting guests on like lauren it's it's great to see the podcast spreading but please 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 still try and spread the word Share it on your social media, on Twitter, Instagram. Put it on your Instagram story and we'll repost it. Put it out on Facebook. Share it with other coaches, other practitioners because I do want to keep getting this information out. We've got 28 episodes on, on the podcast now and there's some amazing information on there. So I do want to try and get this to as many practitioners as possible. So please do spread the word. You can go and follow us. We're on Twitter at FootballFitFed. Same on Instagram, at FootballFitFed. If you've got any feedback, any uh, guest recommendations, um, you can drop us an email at um, mail at footballfitfed.com. And then all our other information, including all of our blog posts, all information about upcoming network meetings is available on our website, footballfitfed.com. Massive thank you again for listening, guys, and we will speak to you again next week.